Hope everyone has your Bible. If you do, you can, I ask you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 9. We're going to continue there, the book of Acts, moving through that, seeing how the Lord not only has called out his church, but he's now equipping his church for everything they need for life, salvation, ministry, all they need to accomplish the work he's called them to. Really thankful again for having Trenton here with us, a special day as well. Today is our uh, last Sunday of the month, so for those of you who are a part of the body here at Taylor's First, that means we'll have a church conference right after this service, and so um, just asking, you may have gotten little sheets, that's what that was about, so that will be right after this service this morning, so just remind you of that. Um, and also, just to also remind you, during this service, because of the nature of it, during the, the song of response, that we will have one of our ministers, Pastor Stephen, will be in the back here receiving anyone that wants to respond to the call of the gospel or truth. We'll have worship counselors. All you have to do is step and go to the back. And so we would love for you to take advantage of that if you need you need to. And hopefully, of course, the Lord is calling his people to himself here. And so we want to look at Acts chapter 9, and I want to, to look at the first nine verses this morning. This, of course, is a passage I'm sure many of you are familiar with. It is the conversion, and we'll speak to that word and what that word means, um, but the conversion of Saul. And so Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1 and going through verse 9. The word says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder, against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Let's pray together. Father, help us this morning to look to your word, to be changed by it, to be molded and shaped by it, Father. We know it is your word and your spirit that work together to make us into your people. And so, God, I pray that that is exactly what happens this morning. Make us better believers. And if someone is here that doesn't know you, Father, may they be arrested with the glorious grace and truth, the light of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. All of this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we have in our passage this morning one of the watershed events of the book of Acts. According to many, I mean, that's what we see here. We know Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming. But here also, Acts chapter 9, I mean, we're looking at a major shift. We have started to see this shift take place as persecution broke out in Jerusalem, persecution to the point of death. And as Acts 8 tells us, because of that, they begin to disperse, to leave. And, and, and now you're coming with that question that we had to address last week. What does the gospel mean for those outside of the Jewish community? As we saw this with the Ethiopian eunuch, what does it mean for them? 
And so even there, you see that the barriers have been broken down. Christ has come to save them even. So how will they be reached? How will they be reached with the gospel? And this comes to Acts chapter 9, the conversion of Saul. In reading Acts, you just feel as though something was about to happen with this guy, right? Something was about to happen with this this one, uh, Saul, that had been mentioned up to this point three times. Something was about to happen, and something does happen here in our passage in a surprising way. We found this guy, Saul. Now, I'm going to do my best, so I just want to go ahead and ask you guys to be with me, because if I say Saul one time and Paul the next, y'all can understand that, right? Everybody knows we're talking about the same person. Y'all can deal with it, and, and we can move on. I just, I'm trying not to live by the constraints of Paul or Saul. And so we, we see Saul here and his conversion. We've heard from him. First, we heard about him standing there in approval as they were stoning Stephen, holding the coats, it tells us first, holding the jackets, laying the garments at his feet. And then 8.1 says, and Saul was in approval. Second, we find him ravaging, the scripture says, ravaging the church. Saul not only had stood in approval as they stoned Stephen, now he was going as the Bible tells us in chapter 8, from house to house, pulling out, arresting men and women, anyone who was a part of this new belief of Jesus Christ being alive, he was going to arrest them from house to house. So we see him in approval of the, the stoning of Stephen, and then we see him going the next step and saying, I'm going to go from house to house in what Luke calls ravaging the church. The persecution in Jerusalem, mainly seemingly led by Saul himself, as we know, forced many of the believers out. The gospel continues. We, we, we see how, and this has been a theme for us throughout the book of Acts, that whatever is thrown at the good news, whatever's thrown at God, whatever's thrown at the church, whatever's thrown at them, whatever that may be, it only causes the gospel to increase. It doesn't stop it. If efforts to end the gospel never work, it keeps going, it keeps going even, even farther than you could possibly imagine because in last chapter, we saw even as they were persecuting the church in Jerusalem, Philip goes into Samaria. Never in a million years would Saul believe that, 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 that even the Samaritans would believe this. They, they weren't a part of us. He thought he could keep it constrained, but now the Samaritans are believing, and they're going village to village. And then, then we saw even last, as, as Philip is taken down to the south, and, and he meets that Ethiopian eunuch, and he believes, and the text tells us that he preaches the gospel in every single village and town all the way throughout Israel. And so this gospel keeps going. You can only imagine as Saul is, is, is trying to stop it with every effort he has, but getting this news that it continues, it's only making him madder. He's only getting more upset, more frustrated. And so that's what we see here in chapter 9. Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Our passage tells us that he's breathing these threats. And because of this, this anger that he has and his desire to stop the advancement of the gospel, he goes to the high priest and he says, give me some warrants for some arrests. Let me go after them. Look, look, we've tried to stop it here in Jerusalem and they've gotten away from us. Let's go after those that are out there. The language that Luke uses here when he's writing is quite stunning and I think very deliberate. 
He says that, that Paul is, or Saul is still breathing threats. The image here that is being used is the image of a wild or a ferocious beast. This, this is not used anywhere else in the New Testament, but it is used in the Old Testament. I think this is a, even a reference here for Luke. I, I, I'm not hesitant to say that Luke's pointing out something that's taking place with this one Saul. He's acting like something. In Psalm 80, Psalm 80 tells us of how the Lord takes his young vine out of Egypt, referencing back to, to how Israel was in bondage and slavery in Egypt in the Exodus. And the Lord took his young vine out and he brought them to their land and he planted in this land with this young vine, this beautiful vineyard, which, is, which are his people, right? And so 80, Psalm 80 talks about how the Lord takes and plants this beautiful vineyard, which are the people of God. And Psalm 80 verse 13 says that even though this vineyard is there, there is, as it, quote, the boar from the forest will seek to ravage it, it says. And so here, this same word is used, Paul, uh, Saul, see I'm doing it, Saul was ravaging the church in, in, in Acts 8. Saul is breathing out from his nostrils this anger, this hate, this murder. That's what Luke wants us to, to know Saul was doing. He's trying to paint a picture of how his hatred was raging. As the Lord is planting his new vineyard of his church here in Acts, this, this young church this in its infancy, as the Lord is planting that, Saul was panting and snorting like a wild beast looking to destroy it, Luke's saying. This is why Paul, I believe, would later refer to himself as the chief of sinners. He knew his heart. He knew his anger. He was zealous, as Philippians 3 says. His, in, his, his, uh, in being zealous, he was persecuting the church as harsh and as strongly as he could. So zealous to destroy the church that he wanted to go after it. Go after the ones that got away. He was in Jerusalem. That was fine, house to house. But he kept hearing of those who had fled. Well, we're not going to let them flee. We're going to go after them as well. There were several large synagogues to the north in Syria, the city of Damascus. We've talked about before how the people of Israel had been spread out through the diaspora of, of the exile. And here in Damascus, many of them had settled. So several, there's a large community there and several large synagogues. And Paul thought maybe they had slipped up there to Damascus to tell those synagogues in that colony of what and who Jesus is. So this would be his first place to go. Let's go find out about them. Now, I, I want to take note here then. As Saul has got his documents to go and arrest them, I want to take note of the way in which Luke referenced or referred to those who were following Jesus, who were a part of his body, his church, here in these early days. Saul was looking for anyone, as it tells us, belonging to the way. Now, this is the first time it's referred to as this. The, the believers in the early church were referred to as the way. In fact, in my Bible, maybe in yours as well, you see way is capitalized so as to think this was a standard way of referring to the believers. Maybe the way the believers referred to himself. It's used five times in the book of Acts. They're referred to as those belonging to the way. 
It will not be, by the way, until chapter 11 at Antioch that they'll be referred to as Christians. And, and when that happens, that's the way uh, uh, their reference comes and changes. Christians meaning basically little Christs or followers of Christ, ultimately. But here they're referred to as the way. I believe the way of referring to these young believers, and I mean young as in, as in this early church, is derived from some significant Old Testament imagery here. Again, I don't think, and oftentimes our tendency is just to think, oh, that's a, that's a cool way to re uh, reference it here, the way. But I think there's more to it than that. The Lord will lead them on the way, in other words. Israel, again, looking back to the Exodus, whenever they were called out of Egypt and, and, and brought out of Egypt through that Exodus and come, over and over again in the early part of Exodus, it referred to them being on the way. The Lord will lead them on the way, it says. The Lord will protect them on the way to the promised land. The Lord will provide for them on the way there. And picking up on this, drawing upon that idea of Israel being led out on the way, drawing upon that idea, Isaiah says in the great chapter, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, this prophecy of the coming Messiah, he says, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make ready the way of the Lord. So when Thomas asked Jesus in John chapter 14, how can we know the way? Jesus is bringing all of that imagery together and he says, I am the way. And here these early believers are saying, that's what we're doing. We've been called out of our bondage of sin. We've been called out of our bondage here of death. And the Lord is leading us out. And we are on the way to that promised land that he is caring for us. They saw themselves as sojourners. They saw themselves as pilgrims wandering through this land on the way, traveling, being led by Jesus, being protected by Jesus. And all of the needs that they had were met by Jesus. So here, they were ones who were on the way, and Saul was going after them. Now, the reason I, I, I go through that is because I don't think we need to lose that imagery as believers today. I don't think we need to lose that imagery as, as the church today, those who belong to Jesus. We, too, are on the way, right? We, too, as the Scripture tells us, are, are strangers and pilgrims passing through this land. For this land is not our home. We've been called out of our sin and our bondage and our shame, and he has given us life, and he is leading us on the way to that place that we long for forever. When sin has been finally completely dealt with, when all that we have ever lost is now made right again, we're looking for that. The Lord is leading us on the way. And on this way, he will protect us. On this way, he will provide for us. On this way, he will watch over us. He will lead us. And that's what we see here. Because as those who were on the way, they knew that there was this persecutor coming and the Lord was going to protect them from him. And he was going to do it in a surprising way. For Saul was on the way to get in the way of the people of the way. I worked for a long time on that sentence. <laughs> Saul was on the way to get in the way of the people of the way, but someone else was in his way. And ultimately, that's what we see here in our passage. Suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him, it says. Saul was not 
uh, Saul was to meet here on this road to Damascus as he approached. He was to meet here Jesus face to face. Saul was arrested by the grace of God. He had gone to arrest those who were following Jesus, and it would be him who would be arrested by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this great turn of events that, that we, we hopefully saw coming, because Luke set it up really well like a good movie would, you know, developing this character of Saul. He's angry, he's ravaging, he's doing it, but you could kind of already tell this guy, something's going on with this guy. He seemingly was lurking in the background, and now, now while he is going to persecute the church, the Lord says, I need you to stop for a second. Saul was not seeking Jesus. He was seeking to persecute those who followed Jesus. He was not looking for salvation on the road to Damascus. He was looking for some sort of, of, of hint or idea that he was affirmed in his Jewishness to end this nonsense of the preaching of the Messiah, Jesus Christ has come. Paul was looking for not Christ Jesus here. He was going to persecute him. And so Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? With that statement, all of us who are in Christ, thank God that he identifies with us in such a way that to persecute us is to persecute him. All of us who are in Christ praise him that we are identified with him, not only in his righteousness and in his salvation, but that he stands on our behalf. Just as he stood for Stephen there as the stones were being thrown, so he stands for all of his children and all of his people. And so he says, why are you persecuting me, Saul? Saul's conversion here was as dramatic as his threats were violent. His conversion was as dramatic as his threats were violent. As he's breathing out this anger, here, here comes this grace. The last thing he was expecting as he neared Damascus was to meet Jesus face to face. He recognized this grace when he wrote to the Galatians, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 13 through 16, he writes, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Paul says it was when he who had called me, was pleased to reveal himself to me. In Paul's testimony here to the Galatians, there was no, I figured it out on the road to Damascus. There was no, I got this thing right finally and go, it all clicked. You know, maybe this Jesus is the Messiah. There was none of that. He was arrested by the grace of God and Jesus revealed himself to him. He showed himself as who he was. Paul is saying it is all of grace. And y'all know what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. We shouldn't get it. We shouldn't be a taking part of it. Paul is saying it was all of God's grace that saved me. He didn't deserve Christ. He deserved death. He didn't deserve life. He deserved death. He didn't deserve salvation. He deserved condemnation. 
but God revealed to him Jesus Christ. He revealed him to him. Like we've seen all throughout the scriptures, especially in the book of Acts, God himself is the main actor here. This story is not just about Stephen or Peter or John, and it's definitely not going to be just about Paul. They are not the main characters of God's story and acts. God himself is the main character. This is what he's doing to build his church. And just like God told Philip to go there, talk to that guy in that chariot, let him know about the gospel, now you go here, God is telling telling Paul in this moment, Saul as he appears to him, and he's saying, I am alive. Christ Jesus is appearing to him and arresting him by his grace. God is the main actor in Acts. He's the main actor in scripture. He's the main actor in history. He's the main actor in this church. And each and every one of us, he's the main actor in our lives as well. The blinding glory of the risen Lord restored the spiritual sight of Saul on the road to Damascus. He told the Ephesians, just as he had had his eyes of his heart enlightened, that they too had had their eyes of their heart enlightened as well. To the Corinthians, he praised the same. He praised the same thing that would happen to him that happened to him what happened to them. For he said, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. No doubt whenever Saul or Paul was writing that to the Corinthians, he was thinking of his own conversion and how the light of the gospel of God and Jesus Christ in his face appeared into his dark soul and heart and shone brightly, opening up his eyes so that he could see what the truth was and who was really alive and where his hope was really found. His point is, or I can say this today myself, that Josh Powell, third generation South Carolina Baptist, my, my Baptist pastor, my granddad, my dad, it would seem like if we were a tribe, I was in line for something. But I wasn't saved because of my dad or my granddad. I was saved because God arrested me with his grace. And if you're a child of God today, you are here, a part of his family, saved from your sins, not because of anything you have done in and of yourself. God didn't look at you and say, hey, he's good enough, let me welcome him in. Or he's got some gifts and talents, let him welcome me in. Or she's really kind and sweet, let me call her to myself. God didn't look at you and say any of those things. God looked at me and just like he looks at you and he sees a sinner deserving his wrath and eternal death. But instead of giving us that, he disposes his grace upon us. What we do not deserve, unmerited gift, unmerited favor. I'm a child of God today because of God's great grace in my life. That's why Paul realizes this in this way. But every one of us should know the same thing. If you're a child of God, don't you dare think it was because God saw something in you that he could think he could use or it was okay. God saw a sinner that needed to be saved and he saved you. Why? Because he wanted to. He loves you. You're his. And he wasn't going to leave you. He came for you by his grace. If you're a child of God, it's because he saved you. 
And so then I think we can learn from this. We may look at Saul and think, you know, that doesn't seem like my conversion. And surely, I'm probably sure it is not. I'm sure most of you, if you saw Jesus face to face, that may happen. I'm not counting that out, but it probably wasn't on a road to Damascus. Amen. But maybe, maybe it was at a time when you weren't seeking him. When you were living for yourself, pursuing after your own desires, giving him no thought. Maybe it was at a time when, 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 when maybe even you felt like you were all right. You had been attending church your whole life. You'd gone to Sunday school. You knew the scriptures. You felt like you were fine. But in that moment as the preacher preached or as, as your father or mother spoke to you or as your friend told you the gospel, you recognized that I don't know him. And you too were arrested by grace. So I think we can learn something from Paul here. Because of God's grace, Saul was first. And I'm going to give us three words today. He was converted. He was converted. Notice again the way Luke described Saul before he met Christ on the road. A wild beast breathing out insults, wanting to murder those who believed in Jesus. The chief of sinners, he says to himself. He was dead in his trespasses. But when Christ, when he met Christ there on the road, he was converted from sinner to saint. He was converted from sinner to saint. Paul would use this language all throughout. Y'all know Paul ends up writing 13 letters in the New Testament, and, and he, he would use this language. He would say, out of darkness, I was called into his marvelous light, right? Out of darkness into light. Out of sin into the righteousness of Christ. Out of death, I was dead and I've been made alive, he would say. Out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, I've been converted out of what I was and something now is different about me. This idea of being converted we use as, as kind of religious ease, if you will, but it means something important. It means that we turn from something. When we come to life in Christ, we, in order to turn toward Christ, we have to turn away from something else. And as the scripture says, that's what we do. We turn toward Christ. We turn away from our sin. We're converted away from our sin and we look to Christ Jesus. We look to him by necessity. We have to turn away from something to look to him. That's what conversion means, right? We look away from one thing to another we change our position. We change our status. Our status was sinner condemned before an almighty God. And because of the salvation of Christ, now we are saint set apart for his calling, for his purpose. That's who we are. We've been converted in the faith from sinner to saint. Our unrighteousness and our filthy rags have been washed clean by the blood of Christ. And now we are covered in his righteousness. We've been converted from sinner to saint. Paul was that day on the road. Because of God's grace, not only was he converted, but Saul was also transformed. This is how he describes his coming of faith. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, he says to the Corinthians. The old has passed away, the new has come. As he continues in that story, you know what he says? He says, I am an ambassador for Christ Jesus now. When Saul left out of Jerusalem, he was no ambassador for Christ. In fact, he was an ambassador 
for those against Christ. He was an ambassador for those who wanted to end Christ's reign, end his message, end his truth. And then before he got to Damascus, he was transformed from an ambassador that wanted to end the name of Jesus Christ to an ambassador that believed in Jesus Christ. He was an ambassador not against him, but for him. He just took off here on the road to Damascus as that ambassador, and he changed. He was transformed. To be transformed means not that you become a completely different person when the gospel comes in, but that you have a radical change of thought, a radical change of outlook, a radical change of commitments, a radical change of perspective, a radical change of practice, a radical change of purpose. To be transformed means that your center in how you align yourself in all aspects, in all ways, means that now you are focusing in on Christ Jesus. He becomes the center of your life. You've been transformed outside outside of or, or away from sin and toward Christ. So now your commitments look different. Your perspective looks different. Your practice and your purpose becomes different because of Christ. You've been transformed by him. All things, Paul says, are new now. The questions we ask now is like, who is it that you love? Who is it that you follow? Saul was transformed that day. He hated Christ and those who were proclaiming his name. But in a moment when Christ appeared to him, he loved him. He loved him. Have you been transformed as well? Because of God's grace, Saul was called. First Timothy Chapter 12, he was, we see this passage. He was converted, he was transformed, he was called. I said 1 Timothy chapter 12, that was just to kind of catch y'all off guard. Verse 1, chapter 1, verse 12, goodness. In writing a testimony to Timothy, he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the foremost But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. He says, not only was I saved out of my sinfulness, my chief, I was the chief of these sinners, the foremost of sinners, I was saved out of that, but I was saved with a purpose. I was called to a task. And what is that calling? to display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him, he says. My calling is to display the love and patience and glory of Christ Jesus to anyone who would believe. My friends, if you're a child of God today, every single one of us are called to the same thing. We are called to display the love and grace of Jesus Christ to anyone who would believe. For Paul, this turns out to the Gentiles. Here, this one who was, as he would call it, a rabid Jew who persecuted anybody. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. 
And now God in his irony and his grace is going to send him to the Gentiles? That was his calling. He says, that's where I'm going. And my question to us is, what about us? Where might God be calling you? If anything, I want to say to you today that there may be some of you in this room that may have be dealing with or, or, or thinking about or contemplating in your time alone with the Lord just what Trenton went through. Is God calling you away from here to go somewhere else with the gospel? My friends, we should not be surprised that in a church our size that God would be calling some of you to go. By all means, the nations need us to go. L.A. needs us to go. These, this early church wasn't just to stay in Jerusalem. They needed to get out with this gospel because those who were out there needed to hear it as much as they did. And Paul says, that's what we're called to. Maybe some of you are called to that. And my friends, I want to tell you, if you feel called to the ministry itself, called to follow Jesus through serving him with your life in ministry, whether it's here at Taylor's, whether it's in Los Angeles or South Asia or anywhere, if you feel God is calling you to this purpose, we as a church not only want to support you, we want to come around you, equip you, teach you, and train you, and send you. We want to be with you through this process because we believe this is a mark of a healthy church, that God sends out people from our midst to go. Maybe you're feeling called as well, but no matter what, every one of us who've been arrested by the grace of God and saved to knowledge of him in life have been called to be an example to those who were to believe in him to be a light in the midst of darkness. We all have this calling. This conversion, as I said, is both unlike and just like any and every one of us who've been called to faith. Confronted by Jesus, the light of the gospel shines into our dark hearts and shows us who he really is. Converted from a sinner to a saint, transformed to a new life in Christ, called to display his perfect love for all of us. If you're a child of God today, this is who we are. Just like Saul on the road to Damascus, we have been converted by Christ Jesus, transformed and called to go out. But as I listed those things, I think every single one of us are somewhere in here, right? Maybe today you need to be confronted with Jesus Christ for the first time. And you have been. Let that light shine in your hearts. Converted from sinner to saint. Transformed, called. I want this to be true of all of us. And as I close out today, do not miss the moment. There's a lot of things and times going on in our week that we can get scattered and think about it. But take this moment, even as we come up to sing, to think about how God has saved you by his grace and called you to something glorious. What is it, Lord? Here I am. Where will you send me? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Christ. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your grace. All of us are dead without any of those things. But because of Christ, because of the gospel, because of the grace of our good and gracious Lord, we can have life. So let no one in this place today still remain dead in their sins. May they look to Christ 
and see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And Father, transform us into your people. Call us out. Someone here today may be dealing with that calling even in this room. God, call us out today. Wherever you leave, we'll go. Father, thank you for Christ. May no one overlook him even now, but may we think upon Christ and what he has done for us. Breathe everything. Of course, in his name we pray. Let's stand together and sing.